right? Next week is Christmas, the beginning of the Advent season. So you can officially decorate your houses now, right? You can put your trees up. It's all right. You have permission from the pastor to do that. That's uh, you know, not that you need that, but uh, uh, it's, it'll be the first Sunday of Advent, and we're entering into the Christmas season. Christmas does something to, to our hearts. There's something about Christmas that just stirs up this sort of good, warm feelings, even, even generosity. In fact, it happened in Winnipeg, of all places, if you can believe it, in Winnipeg, in the Tim Hortons. A guy decided to pay for the person behind him. And then that person, when they showed up to pay, they're like, oh, so the guy behind you is paid. Well, can I pay for the guy behind me? And, and, and went two persons. And then the next guy said, yeah, can I pay for the guy behind me? And then the next girl, can I pay for the... And, and pretty soon the staff started to get pretty excited about this because everyone was doing this. It was like, hey, we got 20, yeah, you know, 21. And they're counting up 100, you know, and, and it just kept going on and on. One hour pressed into two hours. And they're like, wow, you know, we're getting up to 200, 201. You know, and like, and it, just, it was exciting. The whole store is just exciting. And the next one, yeah, 220, woo you know, and then we get to number two. 228. Would you like to pay for the guy behind you? No. The man whose four coffees had been paid for by the person in front would not pay for the three coffees of the guy behind him. Can you believe it? Yes. <laughs> and you, like me, are disgusted. Can you? Someone paid for your four coffees and you won't pay for three coffees? Like, you're getting a deal here, buddy. He didn't know that this was going on, you know? I mean, everyone just kind of expected to pay for their... And, and, and it's just amazing. But those stories are inspirational. The Philippians were those type of people who paid it forward. They had received the gospel... They had been blessed to know that now they had a position with Jesus Christ and that they were forgiven. And then in turn, they went to the, to the far extreme they could to try to support other people so they could hear the gospel. They continued to pay it forward. In fact, we're here today in this building because someone paid it forward for you to hear the gospel. Families invested to make this happen. And we are the recipients of that. And so when we ask and invite you to participate with us financially, it's so that we can pay it forward to help and bless other people. The Philippians got it. Now, money is powerful. It has an incredibly controlling influence in our life. And not just for rich people, but for poor people, and especially for cheap people. Money is a source of control in your life. And you, you, that is your autonomy. It is your very identity. And the word of God comes along and wants to crack that, that idea. Wants to, to just literally rip the purse out of your hand and say, trust me with your life. And the Philippians had got to this place where, where they were so consumed by Christ and the gospel that, that they didn't really care as much about their own personal financial goals that they had before Christ. They just were concerned that, that God would be glorified and that more people would hear about Jesus. And so that's what we find ourselves here in Philippians 4, verse 10. Now, when pastor preaches on money, you're like, oh man, this is a selfish sermon. He's just trying to, you know. But understand, this is where the text leads. And there is a blessing for those who discover the joy of generosity. And I want you to experience that. And you will be held accountable for every bit of money that you receive in this life. And I want you to invest in those things that will last. You heard the words of Jesus. 
Don't call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. The Philippians got that. They were just so thankful. Now, Paul has an issue here because they've been supporting him. They've been sending him money. And now he's like, how do I thank you without seeming like I want more money? And it's sort of this awkward sort of money conversation. That's what we step into here in Philippians 4, verses 10 to the end of the chapter. Paul's like, I got to talk about this, but I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to make you feel obligated. And yet, yet I want to acknowledge what you've been doing in, for me and for the gospel. And so this is what we find ourselves in. But it's this idea of making investments that last forever. Finding joy in generosity. Here's what he says in verse 10. I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Um, he has this great joy. When others are generous towards you, it, it does inspire this, this joy. In fact, every, every time Jesus shows up on the scene, the, the, you often, the, the gospel writers will describe it as, as something of great joy, right? The, uh, the, the wise men get to the house where Jesus is, and, and they see the star, and there's this great joy. Uh, the shepherds see the angels, and, and there's this great joy. The disciples are with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's this great joy. And then he says, yeah, I've got this great joy because your generosity has blossomed. Literally, that's, that's the word. It's blossomed. It's, it's grown, and it's, it's bearing fruit here because you've expressed your concern for me. And again, in Philippians, he'll keep talking about the mind and biblical psychology. And this is that word, you were thinking of me. But not just thinking, but your thinking was practically supported by financial gifts for me. And, and I'm so thankful. He's like, he says there, now I'm, I know you were concerned before, but had no opportunity to do anything. Uh, there was no way to, to kind of transfer the money. There was no wire transfers. There was no cryptocurrency. There was nothing like that that you could use to, to get money to me. But, but you know, you, you've, you've supported me. He, he sent Epaphrodite back with this letter, but Epaphrodite had come with this gift. And so he's just saying, look, you guys have looked after me. I'm so thankful. But just in case, just to be clear, I'm not dependent on you. I'm dependent on the Lord. He says in verse 11, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in any circumstance. The idea literally is um, to learn from experience, often with reflection. And of course, this is a word that comes from the Greek Stoics. The Stoics were like, we need to be self-sufficient and not dependent on anyone and, and totally your own person. But, but he takes that word and he puts it into a biblical context. I've learned this God-sufficiency. This idea of contentment. Just talking to a guy last week after church, and he said, you know, I was, I was working in the patch, oil field application, and one of his guys that works with him is talking about his brother-in-law who has all this stuff, all this stuff, and then his brother-in-law came, and he was talking with him about all the stuff they had, and he's like, hey, how's that working out for you? Is it bringing you peace? Are, are you satisfied? But no, because there's always some more stuff to get, more stuff to get, more stuff to get. Rich, 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 but, but not content. And he's like, I've learned this, this secret, he'll say later on, of, of contentment. Whatever the circumstances are. Um, stories told in the, from the Persian <laughs> annals of a, ancient Persian named Ali Hafed. 
He had a large farm with orchards, grain fields, and gardens, and was a wealthy and content man until one day he had a guest come. And this guest was telling him about diamonds and how if you found diamonds, then you'd truly be a wealthy man. And Ali Hafed began to desire to be a truly rich man. He went to sleep discontented. Next day, he sold his farm and began this quest to find diamonds and went all around the world, finally spent all his money and ultimately committed suicide because he never found what he was looking for. Lo and behold, the guy that bought Ali Hafed's farm one day took his camel to the, to, to the watering hole and looked in. He saw this glimmer in the, in the hole and, and, and reached down into the sand and pulled out this shiny rock. The man had discovered the mind of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mine in all of history. Ali Hafed was sitting on the diamond mine and he spent his whole life looking outside for what was right under his own feet. Maybe... You are the richest person in the world right now, and you don't know it. I think that's what Paul wants to tell you here. I, I got it. It doesn't show up in, in my bank balance or the clothes I wear or the camels I ride, but I got this. I am truly wealthy. I mean, he's sitting in a prison cell or, or house arrest, whatever it was, probably chained to a, a Roman you know, soldier, and, and he, you know, he, he's not got any freedom like you and I would have, but he, he's like, boy, I am content. It's fantastic. He says there in verse 12, he expands on his experiences. I have experienced times of need, times of abundance in every in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. I've got the secret. The word learn the secret is, is one taken from the first century mystery cults. You would have to go through a series of initiations in order to be, be fully a member of their specific you know, spiritual secret society, right? There are similar things like that today, even in our world where you go through little, little secrets and have little oaths and blah, blah, blah. It's still going on. But this was a word he took from the mystery cults. You have been initiated into the secret of contentment. But of course, it's not a, a secret that's only for an exclusive few. It's a secret that God wants all of us to experience. And chances are there's people watching today and listening here have not learned the secret. But God wants to teach you that secret. He wants you to get it. Because there is incredible freedom when you get the secret of contentment. When you can just be satisfied with what you have. I remember as a kid, the kids in my junior high were like, you need to have Nike running shoes to be cool. And so I begged my parents, and we got the cheapest pair of Nike airliners. And, and you know, it, it gave me a moment of contentment, but then it was like, you know. Uh, to, you know, it sort of, it was there and then it was gone. And then we're at the local liquidation store in Vernon and I find these blue suede shoes with, with orange rubber soles and I get these, these $5 shoes and I wear them to school and the, and the cool guy's like, man, where'd you get those kicks, man? You know, I was like, wow, contentment. Like, he didn't know this is a $5 pair of shoes. I'm, I'm just like, man, I've got contentment. It doesn't matter what logo is on the side of my shoe. We're going to get there in a moment, you'll see. 
but uh, we're going there, just so you know. <laughs> Have you learned the secret of contentment? Well-fed or hungry? Wiersbe had said, prosperity has done more damage to believers than has adversity. Have you learned it? And then he has this interesting verse, verse 13. I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Okay. We're talking about contentment. We're talking about money. We're talking about living on what God has provided for you. That's what this verse is, the contextual variance of this verse is in the context of money, of living on what's given you, of, of, of finding strength to be content. This is the strength for contentment. This is not a verse that says, yeah, you know, you, you can travel the world in 60 days. You can become the CEO of your own company. This, this, I can dunk a basketball. I can, you know, I, I can score 50 goals in a season in the NHL. I mean, this is not what this verse is about. It doesn't matter if you paint it on your skates. Or as this picture shows you, put it on your shoes. There's the picture there. There we go. <laughs> Philippians 4.13. That's Bradley Beal. And then the next pair of shoes, of course, uh, uh, Steph Curry. I can do all things. You see that? Now, I, 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 at first when I picked these pictures, I was like, okay, so here's guys that are like, you know, putting this on their shoes. And, and, and like, this doesn't make them best basketball players. God doesn't really care that much about, about their basketball statistics. I, no, no offense. I mean, except that they would glorify him on the court. But, you mean, he, he does, but maybe, maybe, maybe they're telling us that in the opulent, overpriced salary that I have, I can still be content. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here, but maybe. Because, yeah, it's, you know, when you, when you're, when you got nothing, it's like you, you learn, but, but when you have lots, it's also hard to be content. Because you're just worried about what, what's next, or, or what, what you might need, or this and that, and, 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 and your, your heart is not at peace. I toured with a drama group when I was in college, and I remember going to this house in, in the Manitoba area. Huge house, massive. They had a pool that they'd fill, covered up, and then he turned it into this trophy room. So there were just mounts from all over, all around this massive former indoor pool. And, and downstairs, she had satellite TV, which in the 90s, not everyone had satellite TV. That was only rich and wealthy people had satellite. So like, man, satellite TV and, you know, you know theater room when no one had a theater room. But, but the house just felt cold. And then we stayed with Fred and Velma down in Idaho. And Fred and Velma lived in this little bungalow near the railroad tracks. I mean, literally, they pulled out this hide-a-bed in the living room. That's where me and my buddy had to stay, this lumpy hide-a-bed. The train would come by, room, you know, at night, and the lights, and it was just, you know, it was a humble house. Wood, wood heat. Fred had this old 1950s truck that he would drive 100 miles and fill it with wood and bring it back. He's like, I got to make sure there's enough wood for Velma in case something happens to me. We got there, and there they had this homemade soup. We sat around this humble table, but ooh, that house was warm and rich. Give me the little house on the railroad tracks any time over the rich house that just seemed empty and cold. I've learned the secret of contentment, and I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
one commentator said, it's one of the greatest statements concerning material possessions in the New Testament. And then he says in verse 14, nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble. It was a good thing. Your generosity is appreciated. Thank you. But understand, I am not dependent on you. I'm not asking you to, 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 up, to hold me up. God holds me up. But I'm thankful that he used you to do that. <laughs> But I, I'm not looking to you as my source of dependency. I'm looking to God. Now, that's a hard thing. because Sometimes we get dependent on people. But Paul says, I've found that secret. I've been initiated through experience to learn I can trust in my God to, to look after me, as we'll find out in a moment. But then he gets into the kind of the meat and bones of this in verse 15. He says, and as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry... When I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. You were barely into the fold. You'd just, you know, come to faith in Christ. But you took this so seriously. For even in Thessalonica, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I do not say this because I'm seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account. Do you see that in verse 17? It's an interesting verse. The credit literally means fruit. I, I, I'm hoping that, that, that what you're investing will, will blossom and, and, and turn into full-born fruit that, that you can pick and, and receive and enjoy. You see, financial investments in God's kingdom never lose value and will bring a dividend. You can choose not to believe this. Go keep doing whatever you want with your money. But I'm just telling you, the Bible says God keeps track. And he blesses those who seek to honor him with what he has given to them. R.G. Letourneau was this guy that was building heavy machinery back in the 1930s. And, and he made this thing. He's like, okay, well, once my business gets running good, I'll start giving. And that year, he almost he was on the brink of bankruptcy. And he was like, you know what? I need to start giving now. And so he starts, I'm going to invest. No matter what happens, every money, dollar I take in, I'm, I'm investing off that dollar. I'm doom, doom, doom. Pretty soon his business turns around. And he's given 10%, but he's like, no, no, now I'm going to give 20. And then it was 30, and then it was 50. And then at the time, you know, I was reading in one book, it was, it was 90% living on 10. Another guy was 16, leaving his home. His dad was a soap maker, and he was going to find his life. And this ferry driver was like, hey, William, what are you going to do? I don't know. My dad taught me how to make soap. What should I do? Um, you know, I'm, I guess I can make soap. And the guy's like, whatever you do, honor God with what he blesses you with. Give him 10 cents of every dollar, he says to William. So William ekes out in existence. Finally gets in partnership with another guy. They start making soap. And it's, it's an honest soap. He, he decides, you know, when it says a pound, I'm giving a full pound. And then every time I, I receive money, I'm going to give the full 10%. And so he made this the pattern of, of his life. His partner died. He took over the full business. It starts to grow and grow and grow. And he decides, you know what? God's blessing me. So he gives 20%. And then he gives 30%. And then he gives 50%. And finally, the business gets so big, he sets up his family so that they have everything they need, the education, and, he, and, he, and everything gets turned over to the Lord, 100%. You might have heard of the guy. His name is William Colgate. Does this work? It works. But it takes faith to take that step and to do this. Believing that God 
actually credits. And maybe it's not on this side of the earth either. It might be that you give, 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 and you live fairly simply, but God keeps track. I want you to receive that blessing. But if you're selfish and, and focused only on your own needs and don't care about giving away to the Lord, he will keep track of that. And that's what you're going to get in heaven. You'll get in and you'll be in. Others will find that the investments they made have borne fruit and fruit and fruit and fruit. I hope that some of you get to meet the kids who received the stars that you paid for someday in heaven. Say, so guess what? I'm here because you made an investment. Thank you. You've got compassion kids that you're going to meet in heaven someday and say, thank you for helping my family out and helping me out. Thank you. Thank you. He says uh, in verse 18, for I received everything and I have plenty. I have all I need because I received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, very pleasing to God. I mean, this is what, when you invest financially, this is what, the way God views it. It's this beautiful picture. Now, here's, here's a picture I have here of, of Cain and Abel. It's a little cartoon one there, but Abel's sacrifice is accepted before God. It's an acceptable sacrifice, right? Noah, after coming off the ark, builds a, a, an altar and, and, and offers this, this fragrant aroma to God. This is the sacrifice of faith and of praise. It's acknowledging God and, and recognizing him as the creator and the one who has blessed you. You see back in the, the background, there's Cain there. He didn't offer a good offering. God didn't accept his, but God accepted Abel's offering. And when we bring heartfelt gifts to the Lord, they are before him this fragrant offering, this sacrifice of praise that comes up before him. And in verse 19, he makes this interesting promise. My God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. But you cannot claim cannot claim that promise unless you're invested financially in what God is doing. See, even Satan's trying to thwart this sermon, right? <laughs> Your generosity. <laughs> People that give love these sermons. People that don't give hate them. That's the truth. But God invites us to say, you know, not, nothing you have you own anyway. I, I've given it to you. And your giving is an expression of faith and of worship. I want you to move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ, but if this is not a component of your life, you're not moving. You're stuck. God wants all of you. The Philippians are like, everything we have belongs to him, and we just are so glad to be a part of this. And they claim this promise. He'll supply all of your needs. Now, Notice it doesn't say all of your wants, right? I mean, he's not going to give you a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or, you know, I mean, you know, $1,000 shoes or whatever it is. It's your needs. He knows what you need. And when you trust him and you invest with him, this is what you receive. All of your needs. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I've got a picture here. God has this box here, and he's like, yeah, there, there's, there's everything you need if you trust me in this area of your life. If you move forward in faith in this area, 
you will never find the bottom of that box. You know why? Because I'm looking after you. I'm providing for you. I've got stories I could tell you from people in this church, but they don't give to, to, to highlight their own generosity. So that's why I pick these obscure stories of people that don't live in Lloyd Mister. But there are those people here in New Life who have told me these stories. They're like, yeah, as a young couple, we had nothing. We were just living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And then we got convicted and we're like, we don't have the money to tithe, but we have to do this. And they began to tithe. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, somehow we have managed to have money at the end of every month. How does that work? There is no logical explanation except verse, chapter 4, verse 19. Do I have to give off my net or off my gross? Do I have to, you know, is it 10%? If you're trying to negotiate with God, you don't get this. If you're trying to, like, chintz out on percentages, you've missed the point of it, the whole passage. Because when the gospel takes hold of your heart, it's not about how much money I have to give. It's how much am I going to keep? And it's sort of like, when do you need it, Lord? If you need it, it's yours. This is what happened. And the result is in verse 20. May glory be given to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. The, the passage ends in verses 21 to 23. says, give greetings to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers with me here send greetings. All the saints greet you, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that ends the book of Philippians. This little talk about money. So let me just highlight the kind of the five points. You can do what you want with it. I don't beg people to give, but I encourage people to discover generosity. That's why the, the stars, the boxes, uh, these type of initiatives, I'm big into it because I think that, that God's heart, the heart of the gospel is a gracious gift. You know how when you go to McDonald's and you buy your kids some french fries? You buy them the French fries, right? And then they're sitting there, and they're eating the fries, and you ask them, can I have a fry? And they're like, no! You can't have a fry. And you're like, don't, like, do you get this? I just bought you these French fries. You wouldn't have these fries if it wasn't for me. And I asked for a fry, and you're like, no, you know. But this is what we do. God gives us fries. And then, and then when he's like, yeah, I just need, just need one. You're like, no, no, I can't give you a fry. It's my fries. It's not your fries. It's God's fries. Here's the first one. Our generosity to the Lord can bring joy to others. You don't know the potential that you have to bless someone's life. Generosity is that pathway. True contented joy is a gift that, from God that strengthens us in all situations. There's just nothing like it. This contented joy. This just settled peace in your heart of saying, I don't need to, to keep up with anyone else. I am satisfied with what God has given me. Whether that is lots or little, doesn't matter. True contented joy. The secret. I was fortunate to have a dad that knew the secret. And I just thought it was normal. But as I've grown up and been living in the adult world, I'm like, wow, that was a secret. He could drive whatever. He could live in whatever. He could wear whatever. It didn't, it didn't matter. He had learned the secret. The gospel had transformed his heart. He didn't need to be chasing after anyone in life. God keeps track of our generosity and credits us accordingly. Do you believe it? I believe it. God's keeping track right now. All the stuff you spend on yourself and all the stuff you invest in his kingdom. 
You know, we're all worried about our retirement and blah, blah, blah. You need to, you know, don't listen to the financial advisors. They don't think like this. I mean, save money, be smart, pay off your debts. I mean, there's good financial wisdom, but, but understand that, that we have a whole, and I've told my bankers this, I'm like, I have a different perspective on finances than you do, so, so I, I, I take your advice, I take it at face value because I have a, a whole different set of values that govern what I do with my money or God's money because I, I really believe that there, there is a day of accounting and I want to ensure that I've made investments that will last. I've made a few dumb investments in my life. You know, I haven't lost a lot of money, but like a couple thousand. And it just kicks you in the shins, right? And, and as a pastor, because you don't have thousands and thousands lying around. So, and I'm like, you know, but I've never felt like this about when I've given to God's work. Only once. I had a van. And the pastor needed a vehicle. He had a young family. And I gave it to him and his family. And it was the right thing to do. And a couple months later, it came out that he was immoral and cheating on his wife, and it was a disaster. And I felt mad. I was mad at God, actually. God, I gave him that van. And God said to me, to my heart, didn't speak, but he's like, Mike, you gave that to me. You didn't give it to him. You gave it to me. And I'll look after the consequences of his actions. <laughs> You didn't give it to him. You gave it to me, Mike. And so let me worry about that. Okay, Lord, you're right. And so I, I let him worry about it. But God keeps track. And the next slide here. Uh, our financial generosity is a key aspect of our worship and is pleasing to God. It's a fragrant aroma. The stars that you send away, yeah, God. It's like, wow, that's a beautiful smoke that rises to heaven of, of praise to God. And the promise is that God promised to take care of everything we need when we are generous to him. You're not generous to him, then don't claim that promise. Trust in your own abilities, your own finances, your own saving plan, your own financial systems, whatever it is, trust in yourself. But if you want to claim Philippians 4.19, you need to embrace generosity and faithful giving to the Lord and his work. The lights don't stay on in this building. The coffee doesn't get made. All the stuff that happens here, the ministry to children, to youth, to young adults, all becomes because you faithfully give, and everyone gives their part. You make 20000 a year, you don't have to give 20000 a year, but you make 200000 a year, yeah, you should give 20000 a year. It's proportional. Everyone gives what they can out of what God has given to them, and we take that together, we make a budget, and we seek to do ministry. That's how it works. My salary is not indexed on the rate that we take into the church. Except if we don't have the money, then, then like, they knock my salary down, right? But, but if we have money, like, the, the congregation decides and approves and the board, and, and it's, it's, it's done. But the more money we have, the more ministry we can do. We can't do some ministries because some of you aren't giving. We could do more ministry. If you're willing to say, yeah, I believe that in the eternal value of reaching lost people in Lloydminster... And as a result, I'm going to give a portion of my, of my income every month. Just imagine what we could do. A pastor in a community told me this week, he said, Mike, you should build a gym. I'm like, I know I should build a gym, but I, I don't know that we have the faith to do that in new life. But when a school break comes and I'm like, kids are looking to do stuff and there's nothing open, I'm like, man, we could have kids in our gym all week playing basketball and floor hockey and who knows what. But it comes with this faithful giving, supporting what God is doing. So... I don't preach about this a lot. 
I can tell you from my own life that when I give and when I'm invested, I mean, Lisa and I were in seminary, had no money, and we're like, well, and we kind of had that feeling like, well, when we have money, we'll give, and then we're like, no, no, Lisa's like, no, that's not what we got to do now. So we did it then. The meager, I mean, we're training for the ministry, but really the meager income we had, we tithed, we, we gave, we, we sought to invest, and the Lord has looked after us. Never, ever have I been hungry. Never, ever. God will provide. So I'm inviting you to experience the joy of generosity. We're entering Christmas. Look for opportunities to bless others. Bless your youth pastor. Bless your worship pastor. Help them out. You know, look after them and love them. Let's do this. Because this is the heart of the gospel. Let's pay it forward. Like the Philippians did. Let's be that church of generosity. Team, would you come up and... I'm going to close in, in prayer. Of course, the, the greatest piece of generosity is God giving us his son. I mean, he, he gave us the most precious thing that, that, that he could have ever given us so that we could have salvation. And then we complain about having to throw a couple hundred dollars in the plate. Like, really? He gave you the package of fries and you can't give him a fry back? God invites you, says, I, I want to share this. I want, I want you to join in and, and just discover this secret of contentment. Would you, would you pray with me as we, as, we, as we close here? Lord, thank you for your gift to us, your son, Jesus Christ. Corinthians says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's no way we can even put words around all that you have paid for for us. Captivate our hearts, Lord. Release the purse strings. Give us joyful, generous hearts. And in turn, may we experience that blessing of contentment for your glory and your honor that more and more people would hear about Jesus and come to know him. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, team. Just on a practical note, there are a couple discreet and mature couples that have offered to help anyone that would need some just assistance and budging or whatever. That's not me, but there's some mature believers here that would love to help you and that have offered that. If you if that's something you would like, just reach out to the office and we'll get you connected with that, just on a practical way, if that's something that you need in order to move forward in this, in this area. And now, may the God of peace fill you with contentment and with generous hearts. May our hands and feet be the hands and feet of Christ. May our mouths bring forth praise and blessing. As we enter the Christmas season here in Lloydminster, I pray, O oh Lord, that this church family, these your people, will be fully on mission sharing the good news of great joy this season. And so go with the grace of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you.